Welcome to the Doggy Dojo. I'm your host, Susan Light, a Los Angeles-based dog trainer on a quest to become worthy of the title Sensei of the Doggy Dojo. Today is a very special part two episode. We're continuing the conversation with Trish McMillan, who holds a Master of Science degree in animal behavior, is a certified professional dog trainer, and certified dog behavior consultant. Last episode, if you want to check it out, we were talking about some of the barriers to adopting through a rescue or a shelter and how difficult sometimes it can be. And today we're going to continue that conversation and say, you know, if you tried to go the shelter route and it didn't work out, or for any other reason you've just decided you're going to go the route of getting your dog through a breeder, how can you find a reputable one? We're going to talk about things to look for in a good breeder, things to avoid that might be a red flag that it's a bad breeder, and ways to avoid getting scammed when you're looking for a breeder. So I hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation with Trish McMillan. Before we start talking about breeders then, so if you if you can't get through all these walls, all you don't meet the standards, you can't get through, you can't adopt an animal and you're going to look to go to a breeder, before we jump to that, I just want to say the way that I've gotten two of my pets is actually just rescuing them myself off the street. Mm. That's not always something that ha- they just, I've said that they've been meant to be, that they've just sort of fallen into my life in that way. That's how a lot but of my, people get cats. <laughs> they just sort well, of Well, I was going to they're up. both cats. Uh-huh. They're both cats. Yeah. Uh, I know that the street dogs, like you're talking about, mostly are not from this country, but it's essentially what the rescues are going into other countries and doing as well is rescuing street dogs and then shipping them um, to other countries to be adopted out. Yeah. I mean, my Puerto Rican street dog was picked up by my ex-husband when he was on vacation shortly before he met me. So I wasn't the one who found her on the beach, but he did. And <laughs> he brought her home and um, I got to keep her in the divorce. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that is a few and far between, not necessarily a plan to go out nights looking for strays, but uh, it happens. And sometimes I think it's a beautiful thing. It's very pure. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people bringing back vacation dogs. And I would say um, there's some sketchy stuff happening in overseas adoptions. I don't think necessarily taking a five-year-old street dog who's never worn a leash or a collar or um, lived in a house and putting them through a traumatic plane ride and then having them land in Toronto and live in a condo and walk in the snow for the first time ever mm. with traffic and other dogs and people and elevators. Um, I think so, for some of those dogs, that's actually a decline in quality of life. Yeah. I know a lot of people think that it's true. Yeah. And I think we need to think carefully about that. Like Lily was a five week old puppy full of worms and ticks and she would not have lived more than a couple more days. And because she was so young, she adjusted pretty well to life in New York City. And she's a little bit shy, or she was shy when she was younger. And she is still really barky, which is common with the island dogs. They're good early warning systems. But I think the older dogs that, I think it's, we have to think carefully about whether we're making their lives better or worse when we pick them up. Yeah, I agree. But I think that that's a little bit what people are doing when you said we're a victim of our own success and we're running out of dogs we're going and quote unquote rescuing all these dogs from these other countries and bringing them back. 
to adopt them out. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. So we've, so the shelters are running out of dogs. Bring them in the from shelters, the other, bring the pet in stores. Yep. Pet stores aren't allowed to have dogs anymore. Um, yeah. So that leaves us with breeders and yeah. As somebody who's been a longtime shelter person and been fully indoctrinated in the adopt don't shop um, culture, I some people are sometimes shocked when they come to me looking for a new dog, and I say, "Oh, you can go to a shelter, or you can go to a rescue, or you can go to a breeder." They're like, <gasps> "But I thought you were a shelter person." And yeah. like I said, my first dog was from a breeder, and I knew nothing about getting a dog back then. I just I wanted a Dalmatian because I'm a horse person. I wanted a dog who can keep up with a horse all day, which is really the only good reason to get a Dalmatian. And uh, <laughs> and I and I like that they're pretty dogs, and I like that they would start conversation. You know, you meet you meet a lot of friends when you're walking a polka dot dog, mm. especially if they like children, which mine did. Um, oh, that's good. Some no, some I'm yeah. true of all dogs. Yeah, true of any breed. Not all yeah. dogs like kids. That's just, let's get, let's put that out in the world. Not all dogs like kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I live beside a daycare, so the kids were over all the time <laughs> petting the dogs. Um, and she she loved them. So, yeah, I, I lucked into a really good breeder. That was 1992, and I am still in touch with her. She's retired, long retired, and my dog's last relative has died of old age. Aww. But we have stayed in touch for coming up on 30 years now, and... It went from me calling her in the middle of the night, like, the puppy has diarrhea. Is she dying? And uh, her talking me off a ledge and, you know, change the food and try this to me becoming a dog trainer in part because that was such an awesome dog. And her calling me and saying, hey, I want to clicker train my my latest show prospect to do a stack. How do I do that? So it was a really interesting mm. reversal. But I had such a good experience with that first breeder that it it has left me with uh, it, still absolutely no yeah, problem with respect. people. Yeah, yeah. I no problem with people going to a breeder and what we have to in the show. To a good ethical breeder. Exactly. And the issue yeah. we have now is that there aren't enough of them. <laughs> so I, find my, I find myself talking to my dog trainer friends like, you ever thought about having a litter of puppies because we, we i'd love to see more yeah if we hadn't all fixed our animals when we them, like you, said. <laughs> you know how many That's people want a problem a, you know how many people want a copy of my puerto rican street dog she looks exactly like a labrador but she's 35 pounds oh so cute um so yeah so let's talk about because the the word that people have probably heard or the phrase is puppy mills um we won't necessarily dwell on how horrible some puppy mills can be. I can't emphasize enough the bad conditions that some of these dogs are kept in their whole lives. And there's no surprise that the puppies that come out of them have a lot of issues. Um, probably really cute because they tend to breed for looks uh, mostly. Yeah, and there are some... But there are also some lovely dogs coming out of puppy mills, too. And it just, like, you can get a good dog from anywhere. But the thing to think about, and the reason they're shutting down all of these um, pet stores, is that when you buy a dog from a mother who's kept in a wire cage for life, that money goes towards keeping her in that cage for another litter. So the, mm -hmm. the welfare of the parents is really my concern 
because some of some of these dogs are produced by puppy mills. If you have to live in a wire cage for your whole life and you don't bite the puppy miller so many times that he gets rid of you, you might actually have nice puppies. So mm-hmm. I think you can do high volume breeding without keeping dogs in wire cages stacked on top of one another. Like we, we sort of think of the worst of the worst, but there are there are breeders who produce quite a few dogs and the adult dogs have a good quality of life and they get to play with their friends and they get to romp around in meadows and okay, maybe they sleep in a kennel rather than in a bed, but dogs have to come from somewhere. Yeah. But let's talk about the things that are more, that more reputable good breeders do and the ones that are red flags for, for puppy mills. Number one, I think you've stayed in touch with this breeder. And that's a huge um, sign of an excellent breeder. You could expect them to stay in touch with you for the life of that puppy. Yeah. And be able to contact them for the life of that puppy. Well, the other amazing thing with this breeder was I got to meet my dog's mom and her aunt and her grandma. And I also got to meet one dog that had not worked out in the home and was returned. He was a bad food garter and she did not repeat that breeding that produced him and she neutered him and she kept him for the rest of her life. And she's like, yeah, I got to put him in his own room when I feed him and mm-hmm. we're careful around this and careful around that. And I neutered her. Really manageable. Yeah. yeah, but she, a good breeder will take a dog back for the life of that dog. Yep. And we're talking about when the dog is a senior and it needs some medical care that you can't afford and you, and you call the breeder up and if and they want to take it back and give it the medical care. I mean, this is, it's a lifetime thing for a good breeder. They always care about the puppies that they have bred for the entire life. So yeah. That's a was, huge one. It was not easy to stay in touch back in the nineties when we didn't have <laughs> social media, but we still managed to. And yeah. it's it's much easier now. I have a friend who um, got a Doberman who is just awesome. I was like, who's your breeder? And she gave me the breeder's name and I'm on her webpage. And I see her posting brags about her puppies and asking questions. Those of you who got the last litter, how are you doing with house training? Is there anything I can help with? And it's much easier to stay in touch. Um, by contrast, the um, the Doberman who just died at age six, I got, she was sold by a breeder to somebody who moved and sold her on Craigslist to somebody who uh, she wasn't a good match for. And I got her at age two and she was a great match for me, but she came with papers. So I knew who she came from. And every year or so I would get on the breeder's Facebook page and I would send a little update. Here's Maggie running in the forest. Here's Maggie curl up with her friends. Here's Maggie with the chicken. Um, she has chicken friends. She doesn't eat them. And I got nothing, nothing, nothing back from the breeder. And I thought, well, maybe they're huh. out, of, maybe they're out of business or maybe they just don't do the internet. And then when she died, I said, I just thought you'd want to know she died of, uh, spindle cell, um, sarcoma in the abdomen. And she was only six. And if I was a breeder, I would want to know that. And they wrote back to me for the first time in four years. And wow. the one word, the one sentence response was, what was she fed for her entire life? Like, give me a list of everything she's been fed and okay, maybe they're trying to be responsible. And if it was this kind of food, they're going to blame it on that. But it felt a lot like, wow, you killed your dog with, I didn't, I didn't answer like, (laughs) um, wow. 
but yeah, that was so, you know, although they were a breeder who has a Facebook group and has a web page and beautiful dogs, like they look like nice dogs. Um, mm-hmm. The yeah. she they she did not go back to the breeder when the first person couldn't didn't want her and um, she did not go back to the breeder and the second person um, was not a match for her either. Wow. So you can see the difference in the two relationship with the breeders and that you want. Now, the problem is, you know, when you're at the beginning, of course, they're going to be getting back to you. You won't know if they're going to keep in touch with you until you go through the dog's life, um, unless you've been referred by somebody who's gotten a dog from this breeder as well. Yeah. And, and the, the tough part is with a good breeder, you can expect to be waiting for six months to three years for the the litter to come up. And some of them Mm -hmm. just have so many people on the wait list that nobody's ever going to get to the top. Like (laughs) it's, it can be really, really hard and they can be really picky. They can choose that home with the six foot fence and (laughs) no kids and working from home because there are so many applications to choose from. And there's no obligation for, breeders to use conversation-based adoption because they can be as picky as they want. So if you live in an apartment, you, you may get discriminated upon by breeders, but there, there are a few other breeder um, avenues to pursue. I've had a few clients, all of whom had to give back iffy shelter dogs. And all of them, I said, consider going to a breeder and getting a retired show dog. And Mm. Um, one of them got a dog who had a juvenile cataract. So she was scratched from the breeding program, but could see fine out of the other eye. I don't know if, I don't know if the client ever got the cataract eye operated on, but that was a possibility too. One of them got a dog who was undersized for the show ring. So she got an awesome, friendly, wiggly dog who had been shown a little bit as a puppy and then didn't grow big enough. And another one, actually, I've got two clients who have gotten dogs as retired, uh, breeding bitches who had had their litters and were seven or eight years old and they were at the end of where the breeder felt okay breeding them but you know seven-year-old eight-year-old dog still has a lot of life left in them yeah absolutely. and if they've been in the show ring and they've produced puppies and they've had a pretty um full life they can be really awesome dogs and you don't have to deal with the house training and the chew training and the puppy nonsense so which is generally why I say people should look at adopting a little bit older dogs, two or three or four years old dogs from the shelters instead of puppies. <laughs> well, let's work. Oh my well, God. Let's work. It's, it's funny. People think that if you get a puppy, it will, you can mold that clay any way you want. But the two puppies I've adopted from, um, one from unknown parents and one from, parents who were starved and probably siblings, both of them ended up having behavior problems. That one that I was all sneaky with um, ended up becoming dog aggressive as she became older. Mm. And um, the other one I euthanized by 18 months of age, he was so off kilter. So Mm. ever since then, (laughs) the last puppy I adopted was in 2001. And since then I've adopted older dogs and what you see is what you get. If the dog is two or three years old, mm-hmm. you're not going to get all those changes at social maturity if they've already gone through social maturity. We're going to take a quick break. Remember, you can find Trish at trishmcmillan.com, which is linked in the show notes. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
So you mentioned two things that I want to point out then just so that people realize that the opposite is a red flag. You said good breeders have wait lists, which I think is very true. Uh, so a red flag is if they've got a bunch of puppies always available, um, that means they're definitely breeding high volume. Um, if you're saying some people can breed high volume and not be a puppy mill, then I would say you need to be able to see where the dogs are kept yep. um, and meet the parents. And so huge red flag would be, oh, no, we're not going to introduce you to mom because of X, Y, Z excuse. Um, I'll meet you in the parking lot and show you this puppy or whatever. Yeah, um, and you may not be able to. You may not. Flag. You may not be able to meet dad because they often travel to to meet dad or have um, artificial insemination. But that was one thing with my Dalmatian was I did get to meet a lot of her relatives, and they were they all met me at the gate. I drove up, I show up at the gate, and they're all standing on the gate going, "Hi, welcome to the Dalmatian farm. We're we're the Dalmatians. <laughs> Come and meet us." And they were all <laughs> delightful and outgoing and did not yeah. see me as a scary stranger and the puppy I got from that breeder was just like that too like it's not so common to have a Dalmatian who enjoys therapy dog work but she's like I don't know you and I need to know you who are you wow that's awesome but yeah you get to meet the the parents see where the dogs are being kept so you can like you said is their whole life in this wire cage or or they being properly cared for everything's clean everything's you know healthy um, so you want to look for that. And then you also said that they can be picky. So I think another red flag is that all they care about is getting paid. Give me your money. Here's your dog. Give me yeah. Your money, and I, here's your I dog. think a lot of the puppy mills have kind of gone to the um, fly you a puppy next day model where you, you know, the puppy's in another state and here's a cute picture of it all bathed and on a nice background and you don't get to meet the parents and you don't get to see where the mm -hmm. dog's being raised. And it, it's available, whatever breed you want is available next day by air. And I suspect a lot of those are coming from not great places. Also, you have to keep an eye out right now for things that look like that, that are just straight up scams. Oh yeah. Where you pay the money and the dog, they never had a dog. They just had a picture of a dog. Yeah, yeah, the um, Yorkie puppy on Craigslist that you see the same picture <laughs> over and over and I over. I've heard a bunch of stories of like people being pushed to either send a deposit or like a whole couple of thousands of dollars. Cause when you purchase a dog from a breeder, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be at least a thousand dollars, maybe a lot more depending on the breed um, and the popularity of the breed. So, you know, they're, they're getting $500 deposits from people or thousands of dollars from people who are so desperate to lock in that puppy and then they never hear back from them. And it's like, oh, they look a little closer with the picture. You know, it's like they never had a puppy. It was a total scam. So Yeah, and that's where it's nice to have. That's <laughs> where it's nice to have a personal reference where, you know, this, this Doberman breeder that my friend got her dog from. I'm very impressed with all the support she's giving to her puppies. And I have a friend who actually went there and got a dog from her. So, yeah. And you, you should expect to leave a deposit if you want a puppy from a reputable breeder too. So it, it can be hard. Like people can get, can get yep. burned either way. Yep. And you can just get swept up, like you said, in the cute, in the cute pictures and the need, because they were going so fast during the pandemic. Mm. Everybody was desperate for a dog that I know a lot of people got scammed. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, so, so, you know, do your due diligence there. And you have to realize too, that somebody that's just shipping you a dog the next day is not going to have that relationship with you for the life of that dog that we're yeah, talking about good breeders having. It is hard when you have puppyitis. Like when I was looking for my Dalmatian puppy back in the nineties, it was, it was a good eight months. <laughs> I was actually on the wait list for a really good breeder and the breeding didn't take. And she had mm. just called me and told me the breeding didn't take. And I just lucked into this other breeder who happened to have a puppy left. And I just thought I'll gonna go and look at these six week old Dalmatian puppies and I'll just think about it because I'm still on the wait list for the next litter with this other breeder. And does anybody ever go and sit in a pile of puppies and not immediately mm. shell out a deposit on them? Right. Um, well, not me. And I spent the next two weeks <laughs> picking out puppy paraphernalia and um, didn't want to wash my hands because they smelled like puppy breath. Like it's Aww. hard when you've got puppyitis and you've finally got a place where you can have a puppy and uh then you're told there's yep. a three-year waiting list with the breeder of the breed that you want so i, I can see why people go with like internet puppy yeah. next day <laughs> yeah it's but tough. buyer beware no, for sure and another um big red flag is one that a dog that doesn't come with any records any vet records any now i'm going to say genetic testing genetic testing is not necessarily needed for all breeds. Um, but I know I have a friend that's a breeder and she does genetic testing on her, um, flan noodles. So if, if they have a genetic predisposition, reputable breeders very often do genetic testing on them. Um, so that when they're adopting this dog out, they're like, pretty sure looks pretty good. Um, which is another reason why the puppies are so expensive and they're putting a lot of money into raising them and getting all those tests. Yeah, and there's there's a, a wonderful resource that we should put in the show notes too uh, that I've I've been involved with the um, functional dog collaborative where they are a whole there's a whole bunch of amazing breeders that I, every time somebody posts about their program I'm like I need one of those <laughs> and there are people who are breeding for health and I kind of I got involved partly because my breed the Doberman is not very healthy and there are people doing outcross projects and trying to bring in different uh different bloodlines from other breeds and trying to get rid of some of the genetic issues that there are so but there are people who breed mixed breed dogs there are people who breed breeders um she's got a really great podcast too and i have learned a lot just listening to that podcast about if I wanted to buy a doodle, I now know exactly where I would go for a doodle. And there are people breeding them reputably as much as dog trainer types scoff so at them. Functional Dog Collaborative is a podcast. It's a it's a Facebook group and a website oh, and a okay. podcast. And it was started, Oh, all of the above. Okay. It was, yeah, started by Dr. Jessica Heckman. And she is amazing. And she is a vet and a behaviorist and a geneticist. So, like she'll just blow your hair back with I've her to an episode <laughs> or two i think i've yeah yeah I've, I've, I've been on an episode talking about this sort of thing from the shelter okay. perspective but there's lots of tips there on how to get a healthy dog and some of the outcrossing projects and some of the crossbreeding projects because i think that's where the whole doodle craze has come from as people are 
tired of getting these purebred dogs who mm -hmm. are not that healthy and they think well maybe if i get a hybrid it'll live longer and the non-shedding thing is attractive right and yeah and there are people who are breeding responsibly and breeding really nice dogs and there's a whole um there's a whole club around breeding golden doodles well and there are there's like a three-part episode on doodles that i learned a ton from awesome i'm gonna i'll definitely link to that um as well and that brings me to my last question which is where do you find the reputable breeders um is there a list <laughs> well, a, well that um, is that is one thing that no. the the ftc <laughs> is trying to put together there is awesome there is a list called Good Dog, I believe, that um, that keeps track of breeders. But the there's a cool thing on the FTC Facebook page where that's called Searching Sunday. So you can just hop on and say, I am looking for a Cavalier King Charles or an Outcross Cavalier King Charles with the health testing for the diseases that this particular breed is prone to. Mm -hmm. And you'll get all kinds of links of Maybe it's not from the breeder themselves, but somebody who knows somebody and it, the group just keeps growing and it's fascinating. And I've learned a lot just hanging out there and listening to the podcasts and knowing Jessica. And awesome. Yeah, it's a great, great resource for that. learning more. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I feel like we covered a lot. <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to make sure that we said before we close out? I just want to reiterate that you can get really great dogs from all of the sources. And I've gotten great dogs from shelters, great dogs from estrays, great dogs, uh, one great dog from a breeder. And I, she was so great that I would, I would go back. I just always have too many dogs because I <laughs> go to shelters and fall for too them. Too many dogs? What's that? Yeah, but you can, you can have great dogs or you can get really difficult dogs from any of these sources. And I think the take home message is do your research and mm -hmm. maybe ask a professional, maybe get somebody to go with you and, or at the very least take a friend who can talk you down if, if they see you making a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's a, we covered a lot of topics. There's just so <laughs> much to talk about and how to, how to get a good dog. Thank you so much, Trish. This has been huge. Um, I love that the big takeaway from really this episode and the previous episode is that a good dog can come from anywhere and a dog with a lot of problems can come from anywhere. So getting a dog as a puppy from a breeder, if the only reason you're going to do it is because you think it's a guarantee of getting a perfect dog that never has a behavior issue, you just cannot guarantee that. And certainly I hope people don't think that every dog that comes from a shelter is going to have a lot of really expensive, difficult issues to work through either. You can get a great dog from anywhere and you can get a dog that has a lot of problems from anywhere as well. But if you're going to go through a breeder, couple of things, expect them to keep in touch with you for the life of the puppy. Be willing to take the puppy back at any time and uh, for any reason. Uh, expect them to have a wait list of up to several years and uh, expect them to let you see where the puppies are being kept and to be able to meet mom. And if they balk at any of these, you may want to find a different breeder. 
Thanks for coming to the dojo to learn with me this week. This is your aspiring sensei, Susan Light, signing off. If you'd like to find me, I'm at doggydojopodcast.com or I'm at Susan Light LA on Pinterest, Instagram, and Facebook. The music was written by MacLight. You can find him at MacLightSongwriter.com. If you liked the show, you can support it by subscribing, sharing it with your friends, rating it, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. See you in two weeks with another new episode of The Doggy Dojo.